Dear friends in Christ, do you have any nicknames? Tom says yes. What's your nickname? <laughs> I think this is, this is something, maybe Tom is proving this, that it's, I think it's something that my generation doesn't do as well as other generations, because I hear my parents and my grandparents talk about their friends, and they have all these like, awesome nicknames for them, and I just you know, call my friends by their first name. My, my grandpa is a good example of this. I've met people who knew my grandpa, who they had kind of forgotten that his real name was Laverne because everybody just called him Woody. Oh. Holtz means wood, so that's why, that's why they called him Woody. But, but why do we give people nicknames? I suppose they're not always, always nice, right? They can have mean nicknames, but for the most part, nicknames are kind of an affectionate thing, right? They're, they're, they're names that you give people because... You talk to them so much, and you, you know them so well, and you say their names so much that eventually you, you start calling them something that's kind of fun and different. And then nicknames kind of have this cool effect, I think. They, they sort of show how well you know a person. So to use my grandpa for an example, if, if somebody would come up to him and call him Laverne, well, it sort of showed that they didn't really know him all that well. Or it showed that they were my grandma and that he was in trouble. One of the two. <laughs> but seriously, nobody called him Laverne. And so, really, a nickname is, is almost like a, a password to, to showing how well you know somebody. When you call somebody by their nickname, you're showing them, I'm somebody who really, really knows you. Now, today in our, our lesson that we just read from Matthew, we heard a couple of different names for Jesus. And really, we've talked about some different names for Jesus in this sermon series. And a couple weeks ago in Bible study, we had a conversation about why are there all these names for Jesus? And, you know, do we need to know which name to call him at which time? And that's a good question. Why are there all these names? Now, of course, we, we can call Jesus and we can call God by, by any of the many names that he, he gives us to call him by. But I wonder if we end up asking a question like that sometimes when we think about God maybe as somebody who we don't know all that well. I think about a scene in the movie The Sandlot. I don't know if you've seen that one, where the, the main character, the little kid, he doesn't really know his new stepdad all that well yet. They're still getting used to each other. He wants to learn how to play catch. And so he says, hey, Dad, I, I, mean, I mean Bill. Do we ever talk to God that way, or do we ever think about God that way, maybe as somebody who's still a little bit of a stranger to us, or somebody that we, we still haven't gotten to know all that well? I wonder if it would change the way we think about God to think about some of all these names that he gives us as, like, nicknames, as things that we call him out of affection, and we get to call him because we know him so well. We're, we're people who really know him. Names like... Savior and Redeemer and Christ and the name that we're focusing on today, Emmanuel. Which, like we said, Emmanuel means God with us. But really, if you break down the name Emmanuel, it's a, it's a Hebrew name. They spoke Hebrew back when the Old Testament was written. Or if you saw it in the first hymn, it was spelled with an E. That's just because it was the, the Greek version of the same name. But really, when you break down the name Emmanuel, 
im means with, and then when you add the, the suffix to the end, so it's immanu, that means with us, and then ale means God. So really, it means with us God, which same words, but I think it almost changes the way we view it just a tiny bit, that Jesus is our with us God. Now, the people who lived in the time of the Bible, that's what they knew to expect in this Savior who was coming. They knew that God would go from being somebody who spoke to them through his word and spoke through prophets like Isaiah to being somebody who would be physically with them. And, you know, looking back at Jesus' life from our perspective, it's like, well, that's, that's obviously who Jesus was. I mean, we see it so clearly, 2020 hindsight, right? That, you know, he was carried in a human womb. He was born to a human mother. He, he grew up working for his stepdad, the carpenter. He was, he was such a, a human, a with us guy. In fact, when, when Jesus grew up and he started his ministry, he went and he preached in his hometown of Nazareth, and they said, hold on a second, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? What's he doing telling us that he's God's son? Or what's he doing saying that he got his message from God? Which we hear that, and we kind of want to pull our hair out a little bit, right? Because we're like, they had Jesus with them right there, and they just ignored him. But to them, it was just, oh, that's, that's just Jesus. That's Joe the carpenter's kid. And really, that's the way that it was supposed to be. You know, we, we read from Isaiah's prophecy a little bit ago, and really the whole book of Isaiah is full of prophecies about who the Savior was going to be. And so one of those prophecies says this, that, that there was really nothing about Jesus that would attract people to him or make people say, wow, he's really somebody special. Jesus was, by all outward appearances, he was a normal guy, an ordinary guy. And maybe that feels a little bit wrong to say. Or maybe you're wondering, is this still the point in Vicar's time out here when he gets his sermons approved by pastor? <laughs> Which it is, by the way. <laughs> but really, that's the way that it was supposed to be. Jesus was an average guy. He was an ordinary guy. God did something that no king or no president would ever do. He became completely accessible and approachable and relatable. And he became somebody that the average person could go up and talk to because he was an average guy. God put on human skin and bones. He made his dwelling place among us. What a mind-blowing way to talk about God, right? Or maybe, if it doesn't seem all that mind-blowing to you, well, then maybe you have something to really be thankful for because then that means you know God as your friend and you know him as Jesus, as your Emmanuel, so well that that just seems normal to you. And that's pretty amazing too. But maybe we don't always view God that way. I think in the life of most Christians, it probably is a little bit of a an up and down, or a little bit of a roller coaster, right? Sometimes it feels like God is really close to me. And sometimes we ask, is God really even with me? Is God even really on my side after all? Do you ever feel like when you, when you face the battles of life that you, 
Maybe you have to look over your shoulder a little bit and say, you know, God, are we still in this together? Are you still on my side, God? Because I'll be honest, I haven't always been on your side. And you tell me to live my life for you, and sometimes I live my life for me. So, God, are you with me? When we hear that Jesus is our Emmanuel, when we hear that he is with us, how does that become a source of comfort and not just empty words? And when we hear that he's with us, how do we know that us is us? Well, let's think a little bit about the people that Jesus chose to, to physically be with during his life on earth. His mother was Mary, and yes, the angel said to her, you are highly favored. And yet she was also just a, a typical, probably teenage girl who, let's face it, judging by her situation, she almost definitely had people talking about her behind her back. Jesus' adopted father was Joseph. We just heard his side of the story this morning. And the Bible says he was a righteous man. He was an honorable man. Or maybe you'd say that he was a normal man or he was a smart man. Because when his fiance came to him and, and said, hear me out on this one, I'm pregnant and we know it's not yours, but it's God's. Well, Joseph didn't believe her. The Bible still says he was an honorable man, but that didn't mean he believed Mary's story. Now, God had said that this is exactly how the Savior would be born. He would be born of a virgin, but who really thinks that's going to happen in their life? I think Joseph reacted just like any of us probably would. He said, there's just no way. Now, who else was Jesus with during his life? Well, he was born in a barn or maybe a cave with probably some smelly animals around him. His first visitors as a baby were no-name shepherds. Later on, he got visited by some rich wise men. He grew up as just a normal kid in Nazareth. His disciples were fishermen and they were government workers and money managers. And he ate meals with the elites of society and also with scumbags. And he taught lessons to respected teachers and also to little children. So what in the world is the point, right? Because none of that proves that Jesus is with us. And yet it does prove that Jesus means what he says. That he practices what he preaches. And it proves that you should believe him when he says, God so loved the world. And that if you are a part of the world, that means God loved you so much that he sent his son to save you. Jesus says that his purpose in this world was to seek and save the lost. Which isn't the lost just another way of saying the world? Because who in this world is not lost in their sin, right? We are all lost in our sin. So that's why it's so comforting to hear that that was Jesus' purpose in being born into this world. We heard it in our lesson this morning. You will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord saves. So if you ever start to doubt God's love for you, just 
just look at the, the life that God signed up to live. He walked into our messy world to live as one of us. Jesus chose to, to come to live with us so that we can live with him forever in heaven. Jesus is God with us, and he's also God with me, and he's God with every single one of you. Now, maybe we do have to admit that God with us isn't all that impressive unless you know who God is. I have two younger brothers, and when we were about ages seven, five, and three, a neighbor kid said something mean to my five-year-old brother. And so my three-year-old brother came to his defense. He, he came storming out of the house wearing just his diaper. And he stood on our back porch and he yelled from about three houses down, when I get a little bit bigger, I'm going to come over there and beat you up. <laughs> and to make it even better, the, the neighbor kid didn't hear him. So then he repeated the whole thing again. <laughs> but brave? Yeah, I would say so. Noble, absolutely, sure. But intimidating, not exactly. <laughs> I don't remember how the neighbor kid reacted, but I don't imagine he was sleeping with one eye open because of the three-year-old down the street. My, my five-year-old brother, he knew that he had a, a fierce defender on his side, but that really didn't do much to help him. If we think about God that way, as somebody who, you know, he's on our side, but that doesn't really change anything for us. Well, then it really doesn't move the needle to hear that he's a with us God, right? If God speaks and all we hear is empty words or wishful thinking, well, then it doesn't really matter. You can take God or leave him. Who cares if he's with you or against you? And yet, if, if we hear that that's somebody's opinion of God, well, maybe that should almost be a little bit exciting to us. Because then that means we get to tell them about somebody that apparently they've never met before. And that is the with us God of the Bible. He's the God who, who keeps all of his promises. And now that's really saying something, because as you flip through the pages of the Bible, God makes promise after promise after promise. He makes so many and different people count these things in different ways, but the number is several hundred at the least and a couple thousand at the most of things that God had said would happen and turned out to be true. The, the artwork that you see on the screen here, I don't know if you can see the little, the little gray sections at the bottom, but this is a, a visual representation of the almost 64,000 cross-references in the Bible. So the little gray sections are the books of the Bible. So on the far left is Genesis. On the far right is Revelation. There you have Isaiah. There you have Matthew. And every single one of those lines represents a time where one part of the Bible references another part. So, so today we read about how Matthew referenced back to that prophecy from Isaiah. So that's just one of those 64,000 lines in there. So anytime that you know, the New Testament quotes a prophecy, or the Psalms are quoted, or maybe that big line is when Revelation takes you all the way back to the Garden of Eden and takes you all the way back to Genesis. Every single one of those references is shown in that diagram. So why am I sharing with that with you today? Well, the, the people who created this, 
wanted to visually represent the beauty of the way that God's word is, is woven together. It is so intricate and it is so complex, and yet it's so consistent and, and uniform throughout. And so they wanted to, to create something that would really demonstrate that beauty in a very visual way. And really the way that the Bible is woven together is something that, that only God could come up with. Because we live, we live pretty short lives, relatively speaking, here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to keep all the promises that I make in one year. And yet God spans before time and after time. His promises span the whole history of this world, and not one of them has ever been broken. And so we know that our Savior came into this world as a little baby to be our with us God because that's exactly what God had said would happen. And so we believe in a virgin birth, not because we can be convinced that that's something that's possible, but we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin because we believe in a God who constantly does the impossible. Just one more thought I want to leave you with here this morning. I think around Christmas time, we really tend to see Jesus as somebody who's like us, you know, like we talked about with the kids this morning, just a little baby in a manger. And maybe around Good Friday, we do too. We see him up on the cross. But other times throughout our year, you know, when Christmas comes and goes, does that change at all? Do we... Do we forget about Jesus being somebody who's like us, you know, somebody who can understand what it's like to be us? There are thousands and thousands of gods in this world, whether they're gods that people devote their religions to or whether they're things, gods that they just worship in their everyday life. But out of those thousands of gods, all of them will only ever be far away from you gods and they'll be not there for you gods but there's only one with us God there's only one God who came to be like his people who came to be with his people so that they could know him and talk to him and and touch him and and approach him and even get to know him by his nicknames he's our with us God he's our Emmanuel And you know him by that nickname. You really know him. Let's help one another to always always view our God that way, as, as the God who came to be like us and to be with us so that we can be with him forever in heaven. He's our with us God. And he promises that that's never gonna change. He says, surely I am with you always. That's who Jesus is. He's our Emmanuel. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.